0: Blog Talk Radio. Africa
1: at Africa. 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 Africa.
0: Africa.
2: Africa. the center of the
0: world. Latitude zero, longitude zero. Africa. Planned by the Creator. Sazanthropus was the first man found Africa. Africa. on the Earth. That Earth was the motherland.
3: Welcome to Africa on the move, I'm Haki, I'll be sitting in today for Brother Africa And of course, in order to get this party started, we're going to have our panelists introduce themselves We'll start first
2: with Brother Anthony, Brother Anthony, introduce yourself to the audience Uh, Thanks for having me Brother Haki, my name is Anthony Williams I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, G.C. Objectivist Pan Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And uh, revolutionary greetings uh, to the fellow panelists and the listening audience.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we have Brother Jabari. Brother Brother Jabari, introduce yourself to the audience.
4: Thank you, Brother Jabari, resident researcher. Looking forward to being part
3: of. Another great program with my fellow panelists,
4: peace listening audience.
3: Okay, and next we have Brother Moses. Brother Moses, introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah,
5: greetings, greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years in 1968. I call Marxism the race-secure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that a tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you again for allowing me to be on the show.
3: Uh, Thank you for being here, Brother Moses. You know, there's a lot going on, you know, here lately, you know, over the last week or so. Uh, One of the biggest things that's taking place is this whole issue around the Freedom of Information Act, or how to access their freedom of information. Uh, one of the things it seems to me, in terms of a democracy, one of the things that people must have, they must have access to information. But apparently, uh, there are those in power who take a position that people don't have a right to access the information. Now, we're not talking about, you know, um, information that's that's uh, that's, um, that's 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 qualified by the government, information that is, uh, you know, highly guarded. We're talking about information uh, that that the public should be privy to. But yet, there are those who take a position that you don't have a right to uh, have access to any information whatsoever. My question to my panelists, and I'll start with you, Brother Anthony. What are the implications in terms of not having access to information? How would that impact the populace?
2: Uh, it would have a very adverse impact on the po- uh, population because without access information, access to uh uh proper information you cannot make decisions uh, uh, uh make informed decisions regarding uh re- re- regarding policies that that have an effect on you and your family's lives and uh you know and there are a lot of and there are a lot of um there are a lot of policy uh, decisions that are made that are shrouded in secrecy, and uh, and and and, and uh, people aren't informed as to why they should accept uh, some of the uh, some of the policies, rules, and regulations that that are handed down by elected officials, and uh, and um, you know and and access to information is important. In order to hold especially elected officials accountable for the decisions that they make while they're in office, so I think it has a very adverse impact. And uh, without and without uh, you know a- a- adequate information, you really don't have a-, 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 a democratic process. You have an autocratic one.
3: Hmm, that's that's very interesting, Brother Anthony. Uh, one of the things, Brother Jabari, you know, when you listen listening to Brother Anthony, one of the things that, you know, the question in terms of accountability seems very important, particularly when you talk about politicians. Uh, one of the things, um, the reason why they're held accountable is because we have, we can access information to see precisely how they vote, what they're doing, what kind of relationship they have with corporate America and so forth. Uh, now, with this restriction on access to information in terms of of information, that means that that politicians are relatively free to do a lot of willing and dealing under the table, which the populace would never know anything about. Is there any legitimacy to this argument?
4: Indeed, what you put forth is true. Because if any, if I learned anything this year, it's that just because something is public access doesn't just because um something is accessible to the public doesn't mean that um the public has access to it because all a matter of how public is defined in the state of virginia there was a case where someone wanted certain court records and there was a judge that ruled and set forth from new precedent that um they shouldn't have access to those records now the person was trying to prove a case in regards to the misdealings of a certain utility entity but unfortunately Clearly, these people realized what was going on, knew that there was some validity to it. So you saw how quickly they've nipped that in the bud. So what I think you're seeing is a beginning of a trend where my prediction, it could end up being a Supreme Court case. But ultimately, you're going to try to see those politicians that try to put legislation in place where there will be no more FOIA requests. Because when you're looking at that, that is a tool to make sure that people get information as to the corruption that is going on. And it makes sure so that people know what's going on in terms of the games being played and the curtain will be pulled. It won't be no more. We can just operate behind the curtain and nobody sees what's going on.
3: Brother Moses, you know, one of the real ironies is that, you know, you talk about democracy. Uh, and it seems to me on the face of this, you know, not having access to information, it seems to me very anti-democratic. Uh, what is your view in terms of um, this this whole measure being anti-democratic.
5: Certainly, uh, the lack of information is anti-democratic. I mean, it takes information to build up political consciousness, and that that is what it takes in order to have a really democratic society. We have to have people who are aware of each other and and uh, the surroundings and what's going on between the. The policymakers and and the electorate, etc. Uh, we need uh, informed informed people. I mean, without information, we are powerless. And uh, so, you know, this the democracy is dependent upon uh, an educated educated uh, populace, educated voters, educated school children, educated workers. Educated people who are, who are making conscious decisions about about their lives and and their future, and so without information, this is impossible. Thank you.
3: Yeah, one of the things is I'm very concerned about you know without access to information uh, and these anti-democratic uh, propensities among those in power, I'm very much concerned. It doesn't bode well for humanity. Uh, one of the things that without access to the information then you're truly free, particularly the populace, to be manipulated. And that is a very, very real concern in mine. And historically, we talk about the kind of manipulation that takes place in the context of American society. Then clearly the political process is, 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 is itself indicative of the kind of uh, manipulation. And I'm very concerned that with that power to manipulate, then you can simply convince people to act against their own best interests without people ever coming to the realization that what they're doing is against their own best interests. It's very, very very, very, problematic for me Now having said that, let me just Find out what's happening in your naked woods In terms of your community Uh, We'll start first with Brother Anthony So Brother Anthony, what's going on in your naked woods?
2: Okay Um, Well let's see There was an interesting uh, Item uh, last week Um, Trump Made the decision to pull All uh, U.S. forces Out of Syria uh, I don't recall if uh, if a timetable for that was given, but uh, I found that rather interesting um, in terms of, um, you know, uh, the argument being they accomplished all they wanted to do in Syria. I think uh, really is the fact that it represents uh, a defeat for the imperialist forces. Uh, that, were, uh, that were trying to topple the government in Syria. You know, so, uh, you know, that was uh, one interesting item. And, um, you know, and uh, let's see, and also there have been a number of um, localized incidents of uh, people disappearing, particularly women and children uh, you know, without uh you know, um uh, uh you know sign of where they are or what has happened to them. And this seems to be particularly rampant inside the African community inside the US. Uh different geographical areas of the US this has been occurring recently.
3: Yeah, that's a there's a great deal of be you know, concerned about, you know, in society. And uh, you know, uh, at what point do people come to realization that you know we must become, become informed and we must begin to understand the impressive threat that we're confronted with and not merely see this as some type of theater uh where we're entertained. Uh this is deadly serious. And the points that you made are very, very valid and I want to thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Jabari, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well
4: as it's interesting if we talked about um, Freedom of Information Act requests, but um, one of the things that's going on in Richmond, Virginia, the mayor has proposed a plan, or he has made known that he has a plan to set up a new entertainment complex to replace the Richmond Coliseum. Now, while he has a plan in place, he has not disclosed for some reason, so there's been a Freedom of Information Act request put out so that we can get details in regards to what the mayor's plan will be. Now, this is very interesting in regards to him coming up with a plan in this time period because Richmond has a number of infrastructure issues. There's a number of issues in regards to get contracts to perform various works around the city. There's also a number of issues in regards to um, why the schools, even though this is the capital city of Virginia, the schools are not what they could be given the great contribution that many alumni have made, they made in spite of the many obstacles they overcome in terms of the dysfunctionality of Richmond. So it's very interesting that that would be one of the things that's a major priority on this is an entertainment complex instead of trying to make Richmond a better city, a more equitable city for those that live there versus making it so that those who um, have the money making it more favorable for them because that's the trend that we see in Richmond, and I see the mayor's plan as continuing that because clearly that's what he's advocating for. How can he make rich more accessible for the capitalist flag?
3: Yeah, a perverse kind of politic, uh, one in which the wealthy continue to enjoy all the perks of society, where the overwhelming masses of people are poo-pooed on. Uh, so it seems to me, you know, that this kind of, uh, you know, one hand watches the other is all too um, um, uh, prevalent, you know, in American politics. And clearly there is a, uh, a great meal you know, for enlightenment in terms of understanding, you know, how these systems work, uh, who controls the levers, and uh, who benefits. So, thank you, Brother Bari. Uh Brother School yes. Moses, what's happening in your neck of the woods?
5: Um, uh, as Brother Anthony pointed out, uh, Donald Trump has uh, ordered the vacating all the troops from uh, Syria, and uh, I believe. Afghanistan too, I believe. Uh we said the Iraqi troops would be able to uh deploy to those areas if necessary. Uh, I thought it was interesting. There's been some debate among left circles about whether or not the Kurdish fighters who are fighting ISIS and uh and uh trying to get their sovereignty Uh, and the U.S. has been helping them out somewhat with arms and stuff, and so it seems that they're going to be abandoning those people. Uh, Also, Trump, for the first time, visited a war zone. Uh, he He was highly animated about how dangerous it was. He had to pull down the curtains in the windows and in the airplane, and it was pitch dark, etc. And he feared for his his life and uh, his wife's life, life and stuff. I thought that was all kind of interesting. Uh, uh, he's never been uh, in the in the military, and uh, he's 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 waking up to harm's way, I guess. Anyway, there's, there's other stuff going on, but I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
3: You know, let me ask everyone on the panel. Uh, one of the things that Trump said, he talked about the fact that the U.S. will no longer be a sucker. <laughs> so I'm assuming that when he says sucker, uh, he can't get the Middle East nations to go along with financing his wars in the Middle East. And so therefore, his position is, you know, you know, we're simply going to abandon this war effort and uh, teach uh, these people in the Middle East. So, Brother Anthony, what is your perception in terms of his saying, you know, U.S. will no longer be a sucker?
2: Uh well um he um he I, 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 in essence I think what he's saying is that the US will long, will no longer bear the financial brunt of the uh conflict going on in the Middle Middle East, which uh, you know, if uh, people understand history was caused by uh, you know, the policies of uh European, uh, European, and U.S. imperialism in the first place, and uh, you know, I find it interesting, me, made, uh, me, made that. But I think it's a reflection of the fact that uh, that um, you know, uh, you know, he's developing a more nationalistic or chauvinistic outlook in terms of his, po- uh, uh, in terms of uh, U.S. policy. And uh, but I don't think that necessarily means an end to U.S. intervention. It's just that, uh, you know, um, you know, it's a sign that they're looking for someone else to uh, foot the the financial cost of it.
3: Brother Jabari, uh, Trump said the U.S. will no longer be suckers. What is he talking about? It's incredible um,
4: when it comes to 45. Um, he knows no end to his delusion in terms of um, making such a, a ridiculous statement like that. Well, there are the aggressors and they have a big role in terms of the dysfunctionality we see in terms of what's going on in the Middle East. So, you know, I tend to... I won't say that I don't, complete, I don't completely ignore the statement. I see it and I move on with the understanding that well, family. even though he said some things were going to change, he sees clearly because of um, the money that could potentially be made over there, that's his effort to destabilize it to the point where big interests can go in there and turn it to their own play place. And fortunately, that's what he wants to do. He wants to use um, it as another way of making um, money, because that's what we do, keep the machine going. It's just a new stage, but the machine keeps going.
3: Okay. Brother Moses it seems to me America always been a sucker. Uh, America is the world's police and you spend an enormous amount of money on military expenditures. Uh, so it's in terms of being a sucker in terms of being used. Uh, the U S is always being uh used, uh, you know, to, uh, carry the weight of the world on its shoulders. So this question in terms of being a sucker, I don't quite understand where he's coming from. Uh, what is your view in terms of, you know, no longer being a sucker?
5: Yeah, I'm not clear on exactly what he's saying. Uh, uh, I know that the U.S. is responsible for for so much of the world's problems uh, with our, our imperialism and profit-driven uh, corporations running all over the planet, trying to make money and uh, raping people of their resources, etc., and then calling in the army and the marines, etc., to protect. Realize what's going on, and so you know I. I don't know uh I, I obviously he's, he's got this view of uh money and uh and payments and not wanting to pay for NATO and not wanting to pay for for uh US military stations abroad and that and that uh so he's he's uh pulling back some out of Syria. Uh but uh, I think, you know, the overall posture of the US is not gonna change. I mean, we got Africa on and we got all these troops all over all over the world and, and uh so what he's actually saying is uh is I don't know, that we're gonna use it for our interests and and then uh, and uh the allies, etc. uh be damn I guess. I don't know what he has, in man. I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
2: Okay, Excuse you me. Focus real quickly, oh, hockey uh, You know, I have a question about um, about the, uh, uh, something that's happening that uh, Brother Jabari mentioned earlier. I had a question. I was curious. I recall a few years ago, there was an effort to try to build not an entertainment complex, but a sports arena. In uh in a historically predominantly african area of richmond called uh Shaco Bottom. and i think uh the uh the masses of of people in richmond were sus- successful in trying to prevent that era, that effort uh is there any relationship uh between this current attempt and that previous one, or or, or is the information too inadequate to assess that?
3: Well,
4: there is a similarity, but there are differences as well, because in regards to the um, sports arena that would have been built in Chaco Bottom, that would have been built um, on an African burial ground. Now, the entertainment complex we're looking at that I was speaking to that would be downtown Richmond. So that's the that's different terms. In terms of reasoning, it's very similar in terms of um, the revenue that they want to generate, but in terms of location, there's a key difference in terms of downtown Richmond versus Charco Bottom.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, does Richmond have a heavy tourist industry uh, currently, or, or is it something they're trying to build up?
4: Um, it depends on the nature. Certain events may draw a crowd, so it comes and goes. And at the same time, it is something that they want to build up um, in terms of certain things that they have in certain ways they um, design the city. So it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Okay. but I was just raising thing,
2: that for those people who do not, who might not be familiar, you know, with that area. But well, it's I
4: good know. that you raise those questions because, unfortunately, as Virginia excuse me, as Richmond, tends to try to make itself more tourist-friendly, there's an escalation of the gentrification. Mm. Because when you're talking about Richmond economics, one of the ongoing struggles is given the juggernaut that um, Virginia Commonwealth University is, the more influence they have, the more they change the area around them to areas that look one way five years ago. Now it's totally different because they can't afford... The real estate, because as VCU expands, real estate um, values in the area continue to escalate. And that's what mm. the name of the game is. As we look at the gentrification issue that happened in mostly black cities, it's changed in Richmond to the point where the Richmond 10 years ago was no more. As it gets further gentrified, you'll see history books and you wouldn't even be able to recognize Richmond within a 10-year period. It looks like a totally new
2: entity. Mm. This is a lot deeper than Richmond, Virginia, actually, because I noticed the exact same trend going on in Washington D.C., which I visit typically at least once a year. And uh, Northwest D.C. looks totally different from uh, from my student days at Howard University.
3: Yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's a trend that's happening throughout the country. And uh, the question is, what are, you know, working-class folks going to do in response to this threat uh, to their existence? Uh, that is a pretty central question. Uh, one of the things is very, very clear, that the people who run the show, the people who benefit, uh, you know, um, who profit uh, from justification, and um, have no intentions of conceding or stopping that practice. There's simply too much money being made. So this this is happening throughout the country. And you know you're right. I I went I was in New York not too long ago, and the place looks totally different. It's like I always I was looking around like damn, do I remember what, <laughs> you know, do I remember it precisely you know where is where is what is what? It looks totally different. It's like unbelievable, uh, and not a black or brown face in sight. So clearly uh, the situation is uh, um, impacting the nation, and there's a question in terms of what uh, African and or working class people are going to do. In response to this attack on their right to persevere. Uh, now, let me ask. Let me switch the focus here and ask you guys to be a little bit philosophical for me. Now, the reason why I'm asking you to be philosophical is because one of the things that when we talk about struggle, we talk about trying to bring in a new paradigm. Uh, one of the things that we talk about, we there's this, this um, belief that in fact, if we can simply engage people in terms of ideas, that we can win folks over in terms of trying to bring about substantive change. The problem is that bringing about change is not that simplistic. Uh, in fact, when you talk about human, human motivation in terms of the psychology behind how people think, sometimes it's not very, very easy. And so I read this article uh, entitled The Psychological Analysis, The 14 Traits of Trump Supporters uh, by Bobby Azarian. And a very interesting pieces, but when it talks about philosophically or psychologically, it talks about uh, the Trump uh, base in terms of their propensities in terms of why they – persist and continue to admire a man who not only poops on them, but who routinely lies to them, who does everything under his power to make their lives more miserable, but yet they love him. So it's, it's one of those ironies in which, you know, I, you know, I, I have some difficult in terms of understanding. But in, in any event, he put forth uh, 14 traits of uh, his supporters. And I just thought I would run this by you. You have to get your view philosophically in terms of, where you're at in terms of this particular piece uh, that was written by Bobby Azarian. Uh, First, he talks about practicality trumps morality. In other words, he talks about the fact that there are people, specifically the business people, whose position is that you know, as long as he can move the barriers uh, that impede them from making money, that he's doing a good thing. And so the more injustice, the more suffering, the more uh, uh, oppression equates to more dollars. And so business people have a vested interest in terms of making money to support uh, the routine um, 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 uh, routine um, displacement or mockery or poor treatment of people who happen to be working-class people or who happen to be African people. So my question to, to the panel is this. This question in terms of um, practicality trumps uh, morality. Is there any truth to that? And I start with you, Brother Anthony.
2: Does practicality trump morality? There. There's, tr- there's truth to that observation, and uh, the implication of that is um, uh, because uh, what, what the ruling class is exploiting is, is uh, Africans' general lack of disorganization. Because uh, we are disorganized as a people for the most part, we cannot put up an adequate resistance to being pushed around, or be, or, or, or having our uh, or having our possessions or property taken away, or, 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 or being be, being pushed, you know, uh, you know, from pillar to post uh, economically. And uh, this has been our history, and uh, there have been measures put in place uh, to keep us disorganized. And uh because of the historical roots of that and uh because of our uh, uh, uh of our uh you know the uh post traumatic slave syndrome that most of us suffer, it becomes self perpetuating after a while. And we continue to be dis uh you, you know, to be uh, disunited and disorganized. Hence, we can't defend it. So, so the so the the uh, the, the capitalists do profit from you know exploiting us, brother brother Jabara. You know one
3: of the things in terms of practicality, one of the things that his base supports, they like the idea of Trump telling them that he's going to bring industry back to America in in terms of providing jobs. The irony is that the industries are not coming back because it's something too profitable to exploit people abroad making money. So why is it that his population don't get that fundamental point? Well,
4: you can understand that despite the numerous times we can point out, put, um, put out instances where he's failing to oppose his um, campaign promises, the fact that he appealed to the sense of white nationalism that runs rampant in this nation, people are blinded. You got to look at the core base of his support Of that white nationalist voice That feel like they've been stuck stymied And silenced They finally got somebody on national stage To say what they want to say So they're willing to Not even pay attention To what he's not doing And just focus on the rhetoric that he spews So the thing you have Brother to saying.
3: Understand...
4: Go ahead thing you have to understand is that while industry has not been coming back like at the rate that he said it was going to come back, I'm saying that as you see, a number of opportunities are going to people who support his line of thinking. So it also he was also saying in the sense that I want to make sure I look out for my own at the expense of everybody else because I know we're in a bad economic situation. I want to make sure they're okay. I don't care about everybody else, but those that, think like me, look like me, support my craziness, that's what I'm going to support. So in so many ways I'm throwing you a bone.
3: Brother brother Moses, one of the things is that his base also believes that um that you know open borders is problematic for nation nation. But one of the things that they don't seem to understand is that the reason why people are coming to the United States uh, not because they want to be here, but because of the conditions that the U.S. government creates for their own country, which compels them to, to leave and to come to the U.S. What is your view in terms of um, migrants fleeing their country because of U.S. Uh, criminality?
5: Yes, this has been going on historically for some time now. The U.S. has been, been notorious for creating coups and right-wing dictatorships autocratic governments throughout uh, Latin America and, and, the, and the Caribbean. And uh, is wreaking havoc on the lives of people of color. And, and uh, so they are fleeing the, the poverty and the injustices that they are faced with and coming. Uh, and, you know, the, it's, it's easy to understand uh, if you really look at it, but... Trump doesn't look at it, and uh he's whipping up this nationalism and uh this chauvinism and patriotism uh, wanting to be somehow create this sovereign government that uh that's in control of every aspect of people's lives, and that you know there's no there's no borders that uh can that that can be overcome uh he wants to build a wall. He claimed it was going to be Mexico who was going to pay for it. Obviously, that's that's not happening. And uh, he's determined to alienate and uh, and continue to whip up this chauvinism and uh, claiming that there are terrorists coming and, and all sorts of diseases are coming. And he's doing anything he can to frighten and uh, whip up. Uh, a xenophobia and so you know we we have to be patient and explain to people what's really going on because you know a lot of people are going to get lost in the confusion and so you know we have a role cut out for us thank you
3: you know one of the things the study outlined was the fact that uh, in, in studying the, the brain uh, waves of our uh, Trump supporters it found out that uh, Trump has a lot of um, uh, uh, what he has to say resonated with a lot of people. And in fact, one of the things that they discovered is that, you know, uh, his showmanship, his simple language, resonated with a lot of his base. And the thing is that I find ironic is that when you think about in terms of how politicians in America talk to the constituents, they often talk to them like sixth graders. Uh, one of the things is that, they don't want to do is to talk too, in a way, it's too intricate, too complex, and which may lose a lot of the voters. So, historically, they always politicians always talk to people people like they're talking to sixth graders. Uh, so, the mere, 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 mere fact that Trump was able to utilize that skill in terms of reaching people, I, I, I find somewhat um, somewhat ironic because, given the fact that all politicians do the same thing, but well, what is it about Trump? He used words as though he's talking to sixth graders, it resonated. But when other people use words like like talking to a sixth grader, they don't resonate. So what is the difference, Brother Anthony?
2: Yes, well, uh, well, Trump has had, even though Trump's uh, experiences in real estate, he had uh, he had uh, years of practice because uh, he became a, a media darling before he became uh, became president. He he had, he had uh, uh, hosted uh, this uh, so-called reality TV show for years uh, before he uh, entered the political arena. So he uh, so he has a lot of uh, practice appealing uh, to, uh, 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 to, to 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 people at 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 a at a, at a middle school uh, level of education and uh, and i really think the fact that uh that it was the uh imperial, controlled media that gave him the popularity necessary uh you, you know to uh, uh you, you know to attain political office even though he had no pol- uh you know political uh you know previous political experience and uh actually this is not the first time that happened but uh the go from uh a media darling to uh to a uh, to the president is quite a, uh, is uh, quite a leap uh the last one uh that i recall personally that did that was ronald reagan but he was a governor uh, uh of a state before he became us president
4: Brother, can you mind if I add a point? Sure, go ahead. And further along the line of thought is, Brother Anthony, not only can you go from media darling to president, but there are times where as a result of being president, you can become a media darling. Because as we know, with Bill Clinton, he became a celebrity. And with Barack Obama becoming president, he became a celebrity as well. So that's another way they're gonna use Hollywood as a means to propagandize this kind of foolishness that goes on. So you gotta saying there's a reason that these kind of things happen.
3: Well let me ask Scott Moses question. Uh because uh Trump's the idiot himself, does that make it easier for him to talk to people uh, on a uh, middle school level?
5: Well he has he has the you know the insights, uh which comes with being a racist and uh and uh he's 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 circled he's traveled in those circles and so he knows the buzzwords and the and the the things that are gonna play on the emotions and uh so and he's his lack of education obviously prepared him to be uh a demagogue and to play on the back of sentiment of the masses. But uh you know, he, he's he's Trump. Uh, uh, the money, he's, he's the reality game shows and stuff. You know, he he, uh, he he created the image that he was decisive and he was a decision maker and that he was a, a mover and a shaker and he was getting things done and uh, and he sold that image to the people and and they bought it. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Thank
3: you. Okay, Brother Jabari, uh, one of the things is that, and I find it somewhat ironic, one of the reasons why he, his base uh, support him so much, because there's a hatred of the establishment. Uh, it seems to me if, in fact, there's such a hatred of the establishment, then he, 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 his base will be working to try to, to fundamentally change the way business is done in, in America, Uh but they don't. Uh, they persist in terms of supporting him, even though they profess to have a hatred of the establishment. In addition to that, uh, there's also the situation where psychologically, where a lot of his base want to see pain inflicted upon other people. There's a certain amount of sh- shot and fraud, a certain amount of desire to see people suffer that motivates uh, Trump supporters. What is your view in terms of this, this, this particular aspect of the report?
4: I feel that that is a very accurate summation, because it begs the question: Is there a hatred of the establishment, or is it that I want the establishment to reflect my point of view? Because what I'm seeing in regards to some of these people who say that they have a hatred of the establishment, they're fine with the way things are conducted now because of somebody that has that very nihilistic viewpoint that they share. Because we got to understand a lot of these people who are. Supporting um, 45 are people who are Ayn Rand supporters and people of that nature where it's okay to have this rugged individualism to heck with everybody else, as long as I have mine and everything is okay. Because never have we seen a cabinet like this where you have so many individuals and you see the chaos. It's musical chairs because every few months you look, somebody's being replaced in the cabinet because of the dysfunction. So you understand that this is a true can of worms because of. The dysfunction is messing everything up, and it's and by it being so frequent. There's no way progress can be made because you have to deal with the inner squabbles before you can even really, um, actually deal with what's going on in the nation.
3: Brother Anthony, uh, there is a aspect of the report that's pretty intuitive, and uh, this gets into you know, the subconsciousness. But anyway, it's a very interesting point that they made. We talk about the fact that conservatives are more sensitive to perceived threats. And uh, Back in 2008, they did a study in the Journal of Science which found conservatives have a stronger uh, physiological reaction to startling uh, noises or graphic images. In other words, the implication is that conservatives tend not to do well with change. Now, if in fact this is so, then one of the things when we talk about people advocating for change is that likely to garner conservative support. If that is the situation, what are we to do as a moving society in which it seems to me that you have a, a group of people who are predisposed to hate you do no matter how you do it? So what are, what are, what are the people to do in terms of movements in America?
2: Uh, well, um, uh, change uh, the way things are going, change is necessary for the masses of the people. And the reason why uh, conservatives are, are opposed to anything that reeks of fundamental change is conservatives, by that nature, uh, you know, they want to keep things the way they are or roll the, or, or roll back the clock of history, if at all possible, which it isn't. So they tend to be, uh, they tend to... Uh, cling on to those uh, philosophical views or, 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 or images or concepts that tend to hold the clock back. And that's another aspect of, uh, of uh, Trump's popularity. He appeals to that sentiment, uh, you know, that, uh, that make a great, America great again slogan. Uh, you know, I mean, people really need to think about that. And what it really means—it means, it means uh, you know, go, uh, going back to a time which wasn't too long ago, when the U.S. was uh, uh, was, uh, uh, was was in, was was unquestionably the world's superpower, and uh, and and perceived as, itself as being unchallenged. And uh, and uh, you know uh, uh, racism was way more openly expressed than it is now. But it was it was the African masses, our ancestors, that put an put, that put an end to that perception, or played a big role in putting an end to that, because it was on. The backs and labor of the African masses that this perceived uh, domination was uh, was made possible. You
3: know, brother. You know, brother Moses. One of the things that report also talks about. They did a brain imagery scan, uh, and uh, this study was conducted in the Current Biology magazine, and it revealed that the amygdala. Uh, the brain part uh, which is activated during the, during the state of fear or anxiety tends to activate more in conservative minds. Now, interesting enough, they talked about the fact that this response is not influenced by logic or reason. In other words, what they're saying is conservatives are predisposed, pre-wired, uh, to, to see the world a certain kind of way. Now, if that's the situation, can we realistically expect them to understand the necessity for change in society if they're pre, pre-programmed to think a certain way?
5: well i think you know the key aspects of the conservative drive is their profit driven corporate greed and uh, that's the the uh the the key to their psychology uh uh i i, um, I don't know that uh that there is a, a pre i don't know outside of, of some kind of materialist motivation that there's much uh basis to to analyze uh the psychological makeup uh put it on some kind of materialist basis i would think uh but I don't know the the, the conservatives uh have a have a mindset set to says you know uh trump is 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 what's what's needed and that trump Needs to be supported And uh, and But other than the money drive I don't know what else You know in the, the chauvinism and the nationalism The white nationalism uh, Those motivations I can See but Beyond that I'm not sure Thank you
3: You know uh, Brother Bivari, brother Moses raised a very interesting point it's, You know it seems to me When we talk about motivation uh, certainly, when we talk about the catalyst for motivation, then it's clearly materialism plays a big part in terms of how people are motivated. Now, if your position is that people should be motivated or motivated by money, so then it seems to me that everything they do should be in furtherance of getting you know, getting more money. Well, what happens? What my my problem is that a lot of the the motivations has nothing in terms of getting more money, because in fact when you look at Trump supporters, they're not being empowered. Uh, Most of them are working-class people. They're poor, white, working-class people. But yet, they receive the money if they love Trump anyway. So what's really going on there? Is their motivation materialism, or is it something else? Doug Jabari? Could you restate the question, please? Sure. Yeah. Well, one of the things Brother Moses made a very interesting point in terms of when we talk about motivation, and normally in the context of what's inside it, we talk about materialism being a strong motivator. But yet, when you look at Trump supporters, uh, by supporting him, they don't get anything in return. There are no concrete benefits in terms of supporting uh, uh, Trump. But yet, they persist on supporting Trump, even though they don't have access to more and more money. So what we're talking about essentially is working-class people who support a man who does nothing for them. So if so if the material things are not motivating Trump's base, then what is the real motivation? There's a
4: mindset with these individuals that, given the last eight years in particular, they lost what was their God-given right in terms of a society where there's a white face in terms of whom the president of the U.S. is. And because of that, there was a deep hate resentment for anything resemble what Obama looked like. And that's what we're seeing because Trump has appealed to these people because remember what he said about those white nationalists in Charlottesville. He said they were good citizens. So by appealing to the sentiment, he knows that there's a deep-rooted hatred. And to put this into a good example, if you ever watched the movie American History X, You can draw parallels between the white supremacist rally in that movie made in the 90s, as well as those who um, come to the rallies that 45 holds in terms of the mind state, the tone, in terms of the message that's being conveyed, because you've got to understand, these are learned behaviors. It's not nothing that um, you're born with, but it's learned and while it may have been more concealed in years past, what we see now it's becoming a norm that's publicly acceptable, unfortunately.
2: Could I add something okay. to that, brother? Sure, go, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Uh I wanna add the fact that I think the motivation is control. Uh the perception of it, if not the reality of it. And, uh, and it's, not, it's not so much control of money, but control of the things around them. In other words, I think, uh, you know, a lot of uh, European, uh, white nationalists oppress because it gives them a sense of power. Uh, and and it it could even be imagined, but it's a perception it gives them, more or less. In other words, the ability to oppress other people solely because they don't look like them or have a different culture from them makes them feel empowered. In most cases, it's not real, but it gives it it, it 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 gives them that 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 uh, that uh, that impression. In uh, in other words, uh, bullies uh you know tend to bully because it makes them feel good. Now whether they're actually good or not is a whole different story. But it makes them feel that way. And uh, for some people, that uh, that's enough to feel the uh the, the the feel empowered. And uh Trump appeals to that emotional sentiment that I think exists among uh you know uh uh you know some Europeans. Not necessarily all, but some.
3: Oh that's 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 very interesting Anthony. Uh very, very interesting. I hear what you and Jabari and uh, Brother Moses are saying and it certainly makes sense. Uh, but one of the things when we talk about the, the perception of things, uh, one of the things is that uh, you know um, people's motivations are often rooted and uh, hardcore uh, hardcore reality. Uh, not so much what they receive is that's what they can actually what actually actually achieve. Uh, so so when you talk about terms of racism that that exists in the white, in the poor white community. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, the, the perception that the fact that you have power with somebody based upon skin color, it's merely that a perception. There's no, there's no uh, concrete uh, benefits in terms of having that feeling. So essentially, in essence, what you're saying is that you're left with nothing because you aside from the perception, there is nothing. Because you can't, you can't do a thing to a person who happens to be a person of color you know, if you're a poor white person. And the thing you can do is simply the perception that exists. And so, therefore, if it's not buttressed by, you know, actually, you know, hardcore uh, 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 things that you actually do materially, or you, where to the extent where you actually benefit materially, you know, as an individual, I don't see it in terms of the 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 um, irrelevance in terms of the acceptance of racism simply because it doesn't provide you anything that you can see, feel, hold—I mean, where you can hold or you can benefit from per se. So that's, that's my question, and so when I'm raising these questions in terms of study, the points that you all are making are very, very valid. Uh, these are simply perceptions, and, 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 of course, I would never say that any concept uh, is simply adequate in and of itself to uh, define human behavior. I would never say that. But it's very, very, but it's very, very interesting that when we look at all these concepts and you put them in its entirety, it does give you so of a picture in terms of how people are thinking. And that again goes to the perception, not so much in terms of what concrete benefits they accrue, but what perceptually, what did they get from supporting somebody, you know, who doesn't give a damn about them? So that's that's my only point. Now, having said that, let me just say one final point and I'll get your guys get your guys opinion on that, because this I think this is important. This whole concept is called the terror management theory, and this notion and it the typically goes like this. Humans have unique awareness of their own mortality. In other words, they're aware that we're going to die, that we're not here forever. The inevitability of one's death creates terror and anxiety, and that makes sense. Now, this explains the evolution of religion, political ideology, and national identity. Uh, in other words, this notion in terms of terror management theory creates this perception in the minds of people that you should bond together with people who are like you Simply because life is limited, and get the best out of life, then you have to get with people who think like you. And as a consequence, you hate people who don't think like you, or people who are perceived as the the out group. Now, given this 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 concept, or given this theory in terms of human behavior, uh, one of the things is that when you talk about um, when Trump talks about the big the, the uh, this this racist and this bigoted uh, rhetoric that he he spouts all the time and what he define, you know, defined, uh, Muslims as 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 bad people, as evil people, or Mex- Mexicans as evil or dirty or or, or, or criminal-minded. Uh, it resonates with his with his with his popul- with his with his base. And so, it, what I'm asking you is very, very simple. Now, when you look at it in terms of the history, when you look in terms of the people, in terms of Muslims and or Mexicans. Or you can even say Africans born in America. For that, for in that regard, uh, clearly it doesn't bear out that uh, that these people are in a real threat, uh, you know, to America. In fact, most of them here wants to participate in America. They want to participate in this sanity. They don't see the the irony. They don't see the injustice. They don't see the suffering. They simply see it as a means to an end in which they can come here and to benefit. And so this notion that in fact, you know, that if you really think you know, if you have this real fear in terms of, you know, your own mortality and that the only way you can deal with that is is to identify with people who look like you, then what does that say in terms of the possibility in terms of getting together to bring about a new paradigm, a new situation that exists in society? Is that possible, Brother Anthony?
2: Yes, but it's going to take Uh, A fundamental change in society Not reform And uh, it takes Educating people To the truth And uh, And the thing about it though And the thing about it though uh, Education is critical Because knowing the truth uh, Enables you To manage your problems In a better way and that and you come to understand that people who are different from you are not the cause of your mortality or your uh or or or, 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 or your uh, or your condition it's the fact that uh that people are different because uh the world is not uniform and uh and uh, you know and when and and in human human beings in order to survive in different parts of the world had to adapt to different conditions in different parts of the world and that is what call co- and that is what causes the differences that we see in societies around the world but people who are illiterate uh, who don't uh, who, who who don't have a, access to a basic education, who don't understand uh, the, uh, 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 scientifically the world around them, uh, they depend upon those people who who, who theoretically know, and uh, when you're poorly educated, you're more easily manipulated. And that is, uh, you know, the basic problem that exists in this society and also, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, almost in most areas of the world. Uh, You know, inadequate education, inadequate exposure to sciences and technology and not knowing the truth. And, uh, And those who have a higher understanding of it are able to rise to a higher level of social development.
3: Mr. Well, uh when you look at the his, historical situation impacting uh, Africans in, a, in the U.S., uh, one of the things is that we've been um, defined somehow as you know, uh, uh, you know, criminal, uh, somehow violent, uh, somehow uh, the, the grid of the earth. But when you look at the history, the history of America is quite different. The people who are actually violent, people who actually dredge the earth, the people who actually were destructive happen to be white males. But nonetheless, they've been able to project a lot of these traits onto African people, and yet it has some legitimacy in the minds of many, many white folks, both poor and not poor in the white community. My question to you is how do you justify this, 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 this paradox? What, what do you say in terms of? You understand, in terms of why um Africans are so so easily vilified where the people who were- per- perpetrators of, of of evil perpetrators of injustice perpetrators of suffering get a get a pass. How do you justify that
4: Well, what you have to understand is that in a Western construct where the money um goes is what the media will make seem most favorable. Because to give an example of current events, you look at what goes on, what's going on in Venezuela, that's the part of a large right-wing um, media campaign that's, where there's millions and millions of dollars used to try to say that the president is ill-equipped in regards to Vince Venezuela. You see these things happen here because one thing you got to understand is that at one point in time, because the most popular form of media was minstrelsy, which was um, the purpose for ridiculing of Africans. And a lot of what we see is conti- that menstrual tradition is continued, whether it's music or certain costumes or certain things that um, certain characters do on popular media programs that has continued. So if racism at one point was the highest form of media, and we know that media is very important here. It's just going to show that there's going to be an escalation in terms of how it's presented to people. So we got to understand it's always been big business, so that's nothing new. So we've got to understand that that's the American way.
3: Okay. On that note, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll invite the audience to give us a call and within statements and the comments that they may have. Uh, but we'll be right back right after this break. <laughs> I Welcome back to Africa on the Move. Uh, for our audience, if you have a question or comment, you can call us at 323-679-0841. That's 323-679-0841. Now, according to our topics for tonight, uh, let's start our topics for tonight, and we'll start off with you, Brother Anthony. Uh, the question around ancient Egypt, which, of course, we know was real name was Kenneth. Uh, Now, one of the things interesting in terms of Kemet, uh, we're talking about uh, 30 dynasties over over a period of close to 10,000 years. What is interesting is that there's been some dispute in terms of, you know, what what does it mean, Kemet, what does it really mean? Uh, Originally, uh, people thought Kemet meant the black land or black soil, but that that term was debunked. Uh, Later, they found out that Kemet actually means black people and doctor Benjamin Ben-Jakarnam played a big part in terms of leading that fight. But my question to you is that the term Kemet always meant uh, black people. So how was it prior to 1970 that people actually believed that Kemet
2: referred to black land or the soil? Um, Actually, there's been uh, an effort going on for nearly uh, 500 years uh, to try to separate Kemet from the rest of Africa. Uh, and that was uh, partly because uh, to perpetuate uh, the notion that, that, that Africa did not make any contribution towards uh, human uh, civilization, say, civilization or advancement which thanks to the research of uh of uh Dr. Ben uh and others we know is completely false. And um uh let's see uh what and, and that effort and, and that effort was made because the technic, the technological achievements of uh of the Africans of Kemet were so uh, were so overwhelming that they could not be denied and that's why there's been this effort to separate Kemet from the rest of Africa but if you look carefully at the images uh, before they try to destroy them as much as possible you know that the that the ancient uh, uh, people that depended on those uh, on these uh statues monuments etc have very pronounced african feature in common with their brothers and sisters uh, throughout the continent and uh, the discovery of this tomb it look it looks like uh, you know the uh uh the the the, the uh the, the 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 depiction of the human structures are fairly intact but the reason uh, why this uh, why this has gone on is to perpetuate the fact that Africans are inferior to other human beings, and uh, uh, and uh, and if you run a lie long enough without any any uh, any other information to counter it, then uh, people start to buy into it. And unfortunately, a lot of us have bought into it, and uh, and uh, and we and we act out accordingly based upon that. And so that's why this perception exists, and that's why this discovery of this um, uh, tomb is very important in terms of uh, increasing our understanding of our true role in human history. You know, Brother Jabari, one of one of
3: the reasons also in which the West is the high press to even talk about Egypt in terms of the African's contributions to the world. In fact, the beginning of the contributions of the, to the world uh, is the fact that uh, in Kemet or ancient Egypt, it had a centralized uh, uh, bureaucracy, or in other words, in the context of America, it's known as command economy. In other words, it practiced socialism. The situations where uh, if they had surplus uh, of crops. They would store them away, and so if there's a family or anything like that, they would share with other places to make sure that people had enough to eat. It wasn't a question in terms of affordability. It was a question in terms of what was right. Also, if people lack resources, let's say people who possess, let's say, land or ships or chariots and stuff like that, if you needed something, you're a poor person, you don't have any means in terms of acquiring that, then barter was acceptable in which you could treat things like grain or rice in terms of getting what you need. So the terms this core question in terms of value wasn't as uh capitalistic as we we understand it today. In other words, this 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 question in terms of humanity played largely, loomed large in terms of people's everyday interactions. Also, when Egypt conquered other nations, it didn't do it to it didn't demean the people, it didn't dehumanize them, it simply uh took you know, it, it it took control, it used what it could in terms of benefiting, you know, uh Egypt but it made sure that the people had what they need in terms of maintaining a viable economy, a viable political, economic, social structures. So clearly this focus in terms of, you know, you know um, that, 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 that certain things humanity must have, the Camden society pretty much epitomized that. Now my question to you, Brother Gabari, is that given this history in terms of Camden, uh, do you think that we can revitalize a similar kind of situation or system here in America?
4: if we are not going to change the paradigm and continue operating under the system that we have now, then it will be antithetical. In terms of that happening, if the paradigm will shift it, the resources are there, yes, but it's a question of what would be the mindset of the people in terms of a system where we're trying to be equitable, we will have a system where people can bottle with one another and make sure that people have what they need. Because we have to understand this nation is very individualistic in terms of everybody's trying to outdo the next person so we would need a major paradigm shift to get us to that direction and we're talking about undoing years of indoctrination especially in terms
3: of our economic stances okay brother Moses the question of class often comes up with respect to when we start talking about Kemet or ancient Egypt. Uh, there's a, a system known as the mystery system, mystery Egyptian system. In other words, um, um, certain the elite had access to education. In fact, not only did they have access to education, but they had to master all the disciplines, math, science, astronomy, literature, and so forth and so on. They had to master all those things. Why the masses of Egyptians didn't have access uh, you know, to the to the system, and uh, in that in that regard, in terms of class, what is your view in terms of this question, in terms of class as relates to Egypt?
5: Well, obviously, we have a society that, that it says consists of workers and owners primarily, and uh, the people who own the means of production and distribution they have it privatized in their hands, and so the vastness of uh, uh, masses of people are disenfranchised and, and own nothing but their labor power, and they live on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and uh, so, you know, they, the working class has an interest that is diametrically opposed to the ruling class, and we have to realize that and see our common interests and see that we need to take control of the means of production and the government, and and use it in our, on our own behalf. And uh, this is the fundamental problem. Uh, uh, this is the basis of the class struggle, and and this is this is uh, what's the driving forces in society. Uh, some people are more conscious of it than others, but this is a Prior motivator in society to class struggle. Thank you.
3: Brother Anthony, you know, earlier you talked about Africa's contributions to the world and the fact that uh, unfortunately uh, so many in the world have been miseducated in terms of African contributions to the world. Uh, we not only understand it's the birthplace of human beings, but in fact, when we talk about medical models like medicine, uh, clearly uh, Egypt or Africa played a big part in terms of the evolution of medicine. There is a manual called the Piperus Epers, uh, in which it, there's a 110-page document, and this goes back to 1550 B.C., uh, which documents uh, the use of herbs for certain kind of cures. Cures, for instance, for uh, birth control, laxatives, intestinal worms, and cancer. It uh, also talks about the fact of cure for mental diseases, like mental ailments like depression and dementia. It even talks about uh, types of surgeries, like for the eye, for the back, the heart, the stomach, the brain, or urological complaints. Uh, so this is very, very interesting. But you know, one of the things that when I look at Western history, I get the perception uh, that uh, you know all these things started, you know, with the advent of the of, of, of or the evolution of the West. Uh, so what is your view in terms of uh, Africa's contributions when it comes to things like, uh, for instance, medicine?
2: Well, it should be pointed out that there was uh, there was um, that uh, nearly uh, sixty years ago, over sixty years ago, there was a, a book written by by this African by the name of George G M James, called the. Uh, oh, I cannot believe I can't recall the title of the book now. A stolen legacy. And uh it was uh it was about how a lot of the information that the that the West learned was obtained from Africa, particularly Kemet. And uh a lot of what uh um uh, uh what the, 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 the Greeks Romans and other people in the Mediterranean region of the world learned about medicine they learned uh from Kemet or Carthage uh you know or, or uh you know Carthage uh you know I think is the african name for that city which is near where tunisia is today and uh, so, um, you know, so a lot of that, but a lot of that was hidden from us and from most Europeans by, uh, by the uh, accommodations that were trained by the European ruling class. And, uh, and uh, you know, so uh, a lot of uh, European scholarship uh uh you know denied uh you know the the african role in terms of uh these technological and scientific developments and that is because they were funded by the uh you know by the you know uh you know the european ruling class and uh you know and uh and, and colleges and uh other academic institutions, and like any other institution in capitalist society, it, you know, is to make a profit. So in order to make a profit, they, uh, they push whatever the ruling class wants to be perpetuated. And that is why uh, a lot of Africans don't know about our contributions to uh, medicine, science, and technology. But, uh, but the, the, that, that book that you mentioned, the Papyrus Eprus, is an outstanding example of, uh, what, of uh, what our knowledge was like uh, over 2,000 years ago. And uh, because of the oppression that Africans have been under for the last 500 years, we've lost a lot of that knowledge.
3: Okay, Brother Jabari, there was a book by G, uh, G.W. Nobles called Historians Against History, and it talking about this covenant that the West agreed upon in which they would simply discard all African history. Now, it seems <coughs> to me that uh, if, in fact, a people who you perceive inferior, you wouldn't have a need in terms of disguising and destroying that history. So what is your perception in terms of their motivation in terms of destroying African history? You know, when they make a statement like that, i say
4: it's a misnomer because what they're saying is that they're going to keep it in their archives to teach their family and their children, but they're not going to let the people who will use it to overturn the system in place, they wouldn't want them to have
3: access to it.
4: So that's what they're in terms of destroying. They're going to keep it hidden. They're going to do things to change the narrative, and that's why when you go to schools, you're going to see exaggerations that did not present the reality for what it is. To give an example, I can remember when I was a college student, I took an African history course, and one of the people that was the most knowledgeable in the class was a Caucasian contemporary of mine, and that was because her parents had spent a great time in Africa um, in regards to whatever their professional obligation was. But yet, it was interesting considering their class was mostly Africans, yet here it is. This is the person that was most knowledgeable outside the professor because of certain connections they had in terms of knowing the history. So that's why we got them to there's value in knowing history. So that's why they wanted to make sure that the history in the hands of those that were misused and abuse it versus those that were it and use it properly.
3: the Moses. Dr. Moses, you know, one of the things when we talk about uh, Chemist's contribution to religion, uh, there was a document called, uh, it's just a manuscript actually, called the Megs Hamadi, and it's all about the, the manuscript talking about the origin of religion and ideas that shape religion as we know religion today. Uh, of course, this document preceded all other religious texts. And it's interesting that a lot of these documents, religious documents that exist today echo. Uh, the, uh, the exact uh, statements a uh, wording that's co- uh, contained inside the Neg's Hamadi. Uh, my question to you in terms of the role of Egyptian, Egyptian Gnostics, uh, these are the spiritual people in Kemet, uh, you know, who, who um, define things like life, things like soul and what, you know, the, the meaning of life. Uh, so when we think about that and we look at it in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, understanding of, of the spiritual element of existence, uh, what is your position in terms of when people say that uh, African people tend to be very spiritual? Is that a material basis in making that statement, or do you think that this, is, this, this, this case of Egyptian Gnostics was a separate uh, case?
5: Well, certainly, you know, like... Uh there's been a whole history of, of religion and uh different viewpoints of how the earth was began and and what life is all about, uh the Egyptian book of the day etc. Uh but uh, uh Afri- African people are are uh spiritual in in that you know, real more and loving people uh, who who have a sense of community and uh and a uh, desire to, to better ourselves uh, i i as true as i don't think you know uh
1: our
5: spirituality is is uh is or mysticism or anything. Uh, I think you know we have a a, a a growing sense of community and and history that uh, that has evolved and and that is predominantly you know we we seek you know a betterment of each other in in our lives and our fortunes and uh, that's the basis of our spirituality. Uh, uh, oh, this is a, a tough question. A tough question. I I, I don't know if I'm up to par right there. Thank
3: you. Okay, Brother Moses. Can yeah. I ask uh, something, we, Brother Hackney? Go
2: ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. No, something in terms of um, I wanted to mm-hmm. add in terms of our lack of uh, knowledge of our historical contributions. For those who have uh, uh, studied African history, uh, may recall that during the days of chattel slavery, it was illegal, and I think throughout uh, the U.S., to teach enslaved Africans how to read and write. The reason for that. Was to uh, restrict our access to information, and to make us suited only for slave labor. And uh, it was, uh, and uh, we uh, we were only uh, allowed access to education after the abolishment of chattel slavery, but only sufficient education. To make us suited uh, to to work in the factories that uh, fuel capitalist production, and uh, and that approach continues to this day. We uh, Africans, for the most part, in the U.S. Uh, and probably uh, throughout the diaspora, for that matter, are only provided sufficient education necessary uh to uh to do the uh uh to do their uh their laboring tasks for the uh for 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 the capitalist uh uh you know ruling class and therefore and therefore and uh, any more education than that uh you know africans have a way, had the ways of very hard struggle in order to uh to 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 move beyond Those boundaries In order to get access To some of the information We have access to now But for the most part It's not being taught in our schools Because again uh, Particularly inside the US um, Elementary and primary And secondary schools Are places of indoctrination Not real education Very good
3: point Very good point uh, and that's important for people understand that.
2: Um,
3: let me start with the second article with uh, Brother Jabari. Uh, and this, of course, is in Chicago, where uh, the John Marshall Law School has uh, sort of uh, combined the name of that school with, uh, in honor of um, the CIA head, Gina Hespel. Now, interestingly enough, Gina Hespel, who heads the CIA, is one of those who's known, you know, for torture. Uh, but yet, uh, you know, she's being... Um, uh, she's being honored in terms of putting her name up on that building. My question to you, Brother Jabari. Why would you want to idolize or memorialize people who uh who are criminal people who who torture others other human beings? Why would you want to memorialize such a human being Brother Jabari. All right, let's go to Can okay. you hear me now? Go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat>
4: if you operate from a Western viewpoint, that is a precedent that has been set where those who were um, the antithesis to that which is humane get celebrated. What's one of the most prestigious academic honors one can receive? The Rhodes Scholarship. And for those who did not know, the Rose costume was named after Cecil Rose. What was Cecil Rose claim to fame? How he pilgrimaged the Congo and how he had so many African skulls because of the number of Africans that he killed. So anytime you have opportunities where those are the kind of people you're celebrating, that's setting forth for president because we still have Rose Carship. They changed the name of it. That's what we still have. Another example, look at recently what happened. George um, Bush was the former head of the CIA that became president. And if you notice, when his um, funeral took place, they were trying to rewrite his legacy by only talking about those things that they wanted to put in the positive, like not fully examining what kind of policies he had that were very um, inhumane, very problematic for people of color in particular. So they didn't want to go into that narrative and paint the whole picture. They only wanted to paint one side of it. So, we got to understand that this is a precedent that continues to happen. You have Mike, you have a building named after Ronald Reagan, and it's clear. You look at his track record, you understand what, um, the danger of what his policies advocated. We're even seeing Reagan 2.0 in terms of 45 and Trumpism. So, you got to understand that this is not anything new if you operate
3: under a Western context. Brother Moses, this article goes on and talks about the fact that there's it seemed to be a uh not a, not a relationship but certain, certain similarities between the CIA and the KKK. Now in your estimation, how is the CIA, CIA like the KKK?
5: Well they're both secretive societies that are predominantly white white organizations are, and uh built built on some ideology of protecting uh america uh and uh the clan sees white america as america and the, and the cia predominantly sees corporate america as america and so there's a, very similarities in, in the ideological independence of these organizations um they have no love for for people of color uh uh the oppressed and downtrodden uh you know this this is this is uh this is uh uh imperialist uh, I, 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 I,
3: Yeah. Thank you. Okay, brother Brother Anthony. Uh very succinctly put the brother Moses. Uh brother Anthony, um one of the problems is that when the CIA destabilizes governments, um the perception is it's doing a good thing. Um but when it's destabilized governments, what are the, what are the downsides of destabilizing governments?
2: Uh it causes, well, in addition to the destabilization of government, governments, it causes a lot of uh, political upheaval, upheaval and turmoil in a society where those governments are destabilized, and it usually and it usually uh, followed by a tremendous loss of human life and a great deal of human suffering has happened in uh in areas like Guatemala, Chile, uh Panama, etc. And uh, and uh you know and and people uh in the US are not given the information about the suffer- the human suffering that uh that 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 these actions cause and that uh, and that uh, and that usually that usually when when people have have problems in their countries if they if uh they're free from foreign interference they can usually resolve those most effectively by themselves without foreign interference which uh which tends to make a very bad situation worse in a majority of cases.
3: You know, you know, Brother Jabari, one of the things that, you know, when we talk about the CIA, historically we talked about an organization that operated outside the United States, but increasingly they've been operating inside the United States. And so we talk about this question in terms of destabilization. Uh, one of the things we have to ask ourselves, besides how would the CIA go about destabilizing the African community. Uh, one of the ways in which they do is utilizing media propaganda. A uh, second way is proliferation of drugs in the African community. Of course, we know about the Dark Alliance, and when she talked about the CIA spreading uh, drugs in the African community. And also the vilification of, of you know legitimate African progressive revolutionary leadership abroad. And so, in other words, uh, they go around the world and say, well, certain African people are persona non grata, that you don't want them here. Simply because they are troublemakers, so clearly all of this tends to destabilize the African community. So this question, in terms of destabilizing the African community inside of America, uh, is something which a lot of times uh, people don't don't want to believe exists. Uh, I remember at one point we're back in the uh, early 70s, in which um, they used class stratification as a means to destabilize the African community, and what they did was create this perception that African people were in fact doing very very well, and so therefore what meant That meant that African people who were in distress were ignored simply because the implication was that somehow African people who didn't make it were somehow lazy. And so that was a a program specifically geared toward destabilizing the African community. And this question in terms of destabilization, um, what is your view in terms of destabilization of the African community? Destabilization
4: means intentional effort to counteract any kind of thought, action, or organization that is the antithesis of Western domination. And this can be done in a number of ways, economically, academically, um, militarily, and those are just some of the examples. So it's all about maintaining control. Because these people are so paranoid, they do not want those communities that are particularly known for resistance to be able to become organized to the point where they can stand up to them and eradicate the menace that plagues them,
3: Brother Moses, let me ask you this about the Constitution Now the constitution is well established, uh but somehow it seems increasingly uh the Constitution has no legitimacy whatsoever. Uh, One of the things I'm reminded of historically, when when we talked about, um, you know, the situation confronting, you know, the newly freed Africans, you know, in the South, uh, one of the things that happened was that the Republicans struck a deal with the Southern Democrats uh, not to dispute the election of of Roosevelt Roosevelt B. Hayes' election in return, all the federal troops be removed from the South. Now, of course, all the troops in the South were there to ensure the civil rights. Of the African masses who were recently freed from in bondage or enslavement. My question to you, brother, a- brother Moses, this question turns to the Constitution. Why do you think that the Constitution doesn't carry any weight at this point in history?
5: Well, the, the Constitution is a is a is a living document uh, in the sense that it takes political forces to to demand demand it and uh, it enforce it uh the government was founded on racism and institutionalized racism and it should tell slavery in particular and and uh has never really been been uh, eradicated thoroughly from within its structure and it cannot be they have to be abolished and and uh start over fresh. And so, you know, this this constitution is is it, like I said, it's a living document, and we have fought for civil rights and and other other uh, rights, and some some have been more successful than others. But uh, you know, power can seize nothing without a struggle, and so it's a it's a struggle. It's a it's a ongoing struggle. For liberation and uh, uh you know uh, the the constitution can be can be uh amended and et cetera but these are reforms, and we need a, a constitution that that starts fresh and spells out the equality of humanity and uh and enforces it. But for government, that's important. Thank you.
3: Okay, let's go to our third article, and that's dealing with the Cuban president's travel abroad. Uh, What's we'll up with you, Brother Anthony? Uh, one of the things in terms of um, President Carnell's uh, visit uh, abroad is to reduce the sense of isolation that uh, Cuba is uh, confronted with. Uh, one of the things that the U.S., particularly CIA, is doing a very good job in terms of uh, buttressing, uh you know, or, or, or bringing into power, you know, uh, very fascist, uh, very uh, brutal uh, dictatorships in Central America, who are very um, uh, much in opposition to the Cuba, uh, the Cuba struggle. Uh, so, um, given this reality, okay, in terms of the, you know, uh, strategically, uh, Cuba's move in terms to reducing its isolation. What could you add? possibly that uh, would sort of further uh, uh, Cuba's desire, you know, to, to mitigate uh, the sense of isolation?
2: Well, um, well, well, Cuba has done a very good job since this revolution of extending solidarity to, uh, to other uh, oppressed and exploited people around the world and uh one of the things that uh that uh canal president Canal, is doing is uh he's uh he's traveling uh to russia and china and trying to broaden relationships and i think and it's an excellent move and i think he, and I think they could also try to maintain and broaden their relationships with Africa and the African diaspora unfortunately uh you know right now uh you, uh you know because of the the weak state of most african con- predominantly African countries in the diaspora uh it's a difficult situation but i think uh but i think uh but i think it's very important that Cuba continues along uh, the socialist path of development it has chosen and also uh you know and also the deal uh you know openly more openly uh with the remnants of racism that exists in Cuban society and um and uh by not by not, by any means I'm not saying that uh you, you know that uh that Cuba is racist, I think it has done a very good job of Eliminating the material basis of racism, but I think uh, you know uh, much more needs to be done in the ideological arena and that's and that's a tougher fight because bad habits are very hard to break, especially when when they've lasted for se- several centuries and those for those people that contend that Cuba has racism. Should bear in mind that Cuba was one of the last countries in in the world to abolish chattel slavery. It was abolished until it got its uh, uh, nominal independ- uh, independence in 1898. So it's one of the last. So it it, it is difficult, and also and also I think it's uh, also one of the, uh, one of his major accomplishments was to abolish. Uh, you know, to minimize illiteracy You can never, uh, you know, get to a point where it's 100%, uh, comp- uh, you know, 0%, but you can get close to it And I think they've done a very good job of that And as a result, uh, uh, Cuba's more, demo- uh, more democratic than, than the U.S. has ever been in its history today Okay,
3: Brother Robert uh, Russia's assistance uh, takes the form of enhancing generator plants, uh, production of steel and rail uh, cars, developing uh, the, the development of their oil sector, uh, wheat energy, and so forth and so on. Now, what can Russia expect? And for, for its assistance, what can Russia expect from the Cuban government?
2: Well, they can
5: expect, you know, that the relationship between the Cuban people and the Russian people will be enhanced and developed uh, along cordial and mutually respectable lines. Uh, uh, you know, the 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 Russian government, uh, you know, has a life of its own uh, uh, in terms of you know the struggle, the class struggle within the society, and so you know we are. Uh, Cuba has uh, has to uh develop along its socialist roots and you know and as long as the Russian government and is, is is willing to to abide within those parameters then I see no no problem with the Russian government, uh, uh but like it's a it's a difficult situation because because you know, the Russian government is basically a capitalist government at this point in history. And so, you know, we we still have to see how things develop. Thank you.
3: Okay, Brother Anthony, uh, one of the things, we talk about China assistance uh, to the Cuban people, uh, they're talking about uh, equipment for uh, food production, uh, further renewable sources of energy, a 124 million line of credit for tourism industry. Uh, also, they're talking about China is going to donate uh, Twenty-nine million million for cybersecurity projects. Of course, we understand that cybersecurity is important because increasingly the U.S. is... I mean, Cuba has been under attack, uh, you know, by the U.S. using, you know, the Internet for the whole purpose of spreading as much propaganda and much chaos as it possibly can. So what can China yeah. ex- anticipate? What they hope to gain by assisting the Cuban people?
2: Um well let's see the, the uh i think they they would again you know um uh you know uh, 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 uh another uh, another friendly ally and uh, no, uh, another partner with whom they that they, they they could do business with so i think i think uh you know as long as um you know as long as there's mutual respect for um you know, each uh each country's uh, you know, chosen uh, path of development, which is all uh Cuba's ever really wanted. I think they I think um I think it's a situation that could benefit both countries. And uh and I think uh, and I think um you know I think the diversification of, uh, of 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 economy and diversification of religion of political relationships is very important in order for uh, in order for Cuba to survive uh, because uh, it is up against uh, an imperialist colossus and uh, it's is a very difficult situation. So I think having uh, having uh, relationships with multiple countries around the uh, 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 around the world can only enhance the security.
3: Okay, and of course I'd be remiss not to mention the fact that Vietnam also has a relationship, uh, you know, with Cuba. And of course, remember the long struggle the Vietnamese endured, not only defeating the French but defeating the Americans as well. Yeah. So uh, clearly. Cuba's in good company in terms of the kind of people it's forming relationships with, and we encourage African community to continue to support Cuba in all its endeavors. Let's move to the final uh, topic, and we have our time is running short here. Let's see what we can do. Let's do this question in terms of the uh, Israel uh, uh, rejection of equal rights for the citizenry. You know, I find this ironic, and I saw what you were, Brother Moses. Uh, one of the things historically, when you look at Zionism, and, and, and one of the first countries they hoped to uh, to take over was Uganda, and because of the resistance put up by the Ugandans, they decided that Uganda wasn't the place to, place to be for so-called Jewish homeland. Now, if in fact Uganda was targeted for, you know, a Jewish homeland, was the real motivation all about finding a Jew, Jewish homeland, or was it really about Zionist desire to um, to have power?
5: I think it's about the Zionists' plan to have power and to to disrupt lives in the Middle East. Uh, they they uh, have no respect for Palestinian rights whatsoever, and uh, the the campaign for more of investment and sanctions is, is properly so, and it's because they have no right to be there at all, and uh, that's the bottom line. Uh, uh they've taken this land and by force and uh with an ideology of of uh, of uh, historical uh mandate or something uh, uh and uh, this is all bankrupt and uh you know the people of the world see through it and and the Palestinians see through it and the u s government Has been backing them and have have them as a military settler outpost there for the carrying out U.S. interests and uh, the situation has to be has to be addressed eventually. Uh, The government of the U.S. and the government of Israel both are doomed. Thank you.
3: You know, brother Anthony, one of the things you know I find uh, so much um, problematic. The fact that the Zionists uh, brought the, the Israel, the original Jews, the Jews that you read about in the Bible, under operations David and Operation Solomon, they brought them to Israel. And now that they're uh, there, uh, teaching them real uh, um, uh, Hebrew, uh, they're treating them as second-class citizens. How do you justify that? What can you say in terms of the treatment of the African Jews uh, who currently reside in the regime of Israel?
2: Uh the the way they're being treated is a reflection of uh, Zionist opportunism, uh, because uh, they are uh, uh, the, bringing them there uh, uh, from um, uh, Ethiopia in the first place reflects that 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 that, that the Zionists know in their consciousness that that that, that, that they were not. Indigenous to that area, that they they were not the original peoples, the Palestinians uh, uh, Blown that land. But it was, uh, but uh, it should be uh, for the uh, for the the benefit of the listening audience. The Zionist movement was a movement seeking land anywhere in the world. Uh, the imperial uh, the capitalists could give it to them and uh it was uh it was uh some orthodox uh jews that told Theodore Herzl that uh, uh, that, uh that, that 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 palestine was the original homeland of the jews and, and at the time the zionist movement was established palestine was a colony of uh, of the ottoman empire today uh present day turkey and uh and that uh and that's changed hands to the british during world war 1 and it was under the balfour declaration that the Zionists, uh you know uh, uh got a foothold in palestine and uh they thought uh, uh they are not uh they do not not only do they do they not care care anything about uh you know palestinians they don't care any any anything about uh, you know uh, the real Hebrews, except to exploit their history in order to advance their uh, their, their, their individual cap- capitalistic aims, and uh, and uh, it's an exploitation of religion that will ultimately be their downfall.
3: You know, brother Moses, one of the things that uh, the current leader of Israel Netanyahu One thing he wants to do He wants to create a Jewish homeland in Afghanistan Morocco and Libya Now clearly if in fact this was If he achieved and actually Doing this can we anticipate more Problems in Afghanistan Morocco and Libya With respect to injustice inflicted upon The native population
5: Yeah well These reactionaries you know Will continue to, to try to Expand and uh Increase their spheres of influence, and and you know this is expected. But you know, but the but the world uh, hopefully will be able to contain them and and not allow them to expand that, that their territory. Uh, um, the Jews in Israel, the Zionist project is is a project of the U.S. government, and and it's funded by the u s government and and it it looks out for the interests of the u s government and uh that's that's it's inseparable from the u s government at this point in time and and that's what we have to understand that that uh you know if there isn't gonna be any change it's gonna have to start by uh, uh, dealing with the u s backing of of Israel thank you
3: and a final question. Um, ironically, uh, both Herzl and Ben Gurion, uh, two founders of Zionism, are both atheists. They don't even believe in religion. How do you explain that, Brother Anthony?
2: Uh, well, that shows that, uh, that 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 the principle of Zionism have nothing to do with religion, and especially not uh, 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 not uh, Hebrewism. Judaism or Hebrewism uh, uh, You know more correctly uh, Because one of the first Principles the first Commandment is That uh, is I am the Lord your God And there shall be no other gods Before me so one of the, uh, The basic principles of Judaism is the Belief in God So you cannot Be an atheist and Jewish At the same time uh and uh, and it shows the unprincipled character of uh, zionism and uh and uh, the and uh, you know uh moses, uh brother moses made a good point about uh how people of the world are clear on zionism's uh you know aims except for uh most people inside the US Mainly because of Zionist control of the media, but uh, you know, but you know, but through work and struggle, you know, even uh, you know that truth will eventually come to light. But uh, you know, but I think it, 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 you know, it speaks to the fact that Zionism is, uh, it, it, you know, has nothing to do whatsoever with Judaism. And it's a form of racism that's characterized by its usage of Judaism to justify the, uh, the oppression of the Palestinians.
3: Okay. On that point, let's conclude. Let me get your final statements. We start with your other moments. your final statement for tonight.
5: Yeah. These, these, uh, these Zionists are, are serious and they are a real threat to the world's balance. Uh, the ideological understanding of, of the world they present a real problem, uh, uh and uh they have to be dealt with. Uh, uh I don't I I I wouldn't pay tithes to a church that that supported Israeli uh, uh Zionism and uh and I think it should be more kind of sanctioned and, and divested all 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 money going into the into these branches of Zionism which are all over the US of A. And uh I I think you know we have to get serious about Zionism. Thank you.
3: Thank you the Moses. Brother brother final statement.
2: Yes. Uh we must politically educate and get organized, and uh, because uh, only through knowing the truth and through education can we really build a truly democratic society. So we must, uh, you know, uh, you know, do all the uh, do all we can to keep ourselves informed and share our knowledge with the masses of the people.
3: You're Anthony, and I want to thank the Radio Rebels uh, for tonight. I thank the audience for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week on Africa on See you next time.
1: Africa of the center of the world. Latitude
0: zero, longitude zero. Planned by the Creator. Sizanthropus was the first man Africa. found on the Earth. Africa. That Earth.
1: i oh,